I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Watchmen and Superman episodes. In today's episode, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seb and James recommended to me on last week's show. Those were Miracle Man and Animal Man. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Okay, there is a whole bunch of news to get to this week, so let's dive right in. I'm going cold turkey on Age of Ultron trailers and TV spots from now on, um, basically until the film's release. But that doesn't mean I can't indulge in some great Avengers news, and we have some great Avengers news. Fans of brilliant actresses will be delighted to hear that Julie Delpy and Linda Cardellini will both appear in Age of Ultron in as-yet-undisclosed roles. However, a rumour at comicbookmovie.com, which apparently comes from a Hungarian language sync of Age of Ultron, no, uh, we're not sure what that means either, um, suggests that Cardellini will be playing Clint Barton's wife, Laura, and that Delpy will be playing a character identified as Madame B, who we're hearing may be a ballet mistress. Uh, True or not, we were never really expecting either of those two to be playing Carol Danvers. Interestingly, that same list suggests that Josh Brolin's Thanos will be appearing in the movie, and that the daughter of Clint and Laura Barton will be played by Isabella and Imogen Poynton, who also played Roman Day's daughter in Guardians of the Galaxy. Additionally, Joss Whedon has claimed there'll be no post-credits scene on Age of Ultron, but I'm sure we'll sit there and hope regardless of what anyone says. Andy Serkis has confirmed that he is indeed playing Ulysses Claw, and the Russo brothers have been officially confirmed as the Infinity War directors. Deadpool has had its R rating confirmed via a viral video that surfaced on April Fool's Day. The appropriately meta video featured Ryan Reynolds being interviewed by Mario Lopez, only for Deadpool to appear and to kill the interviewer when he suggested that the film would not be rated R. So that's great news for the fans who are desperate for this movie to stay true to the tone and the spirit of the Deadpool comics, but we're still a little bit perplexed by the Mario Lopez of it all. Despite the BBFC confirming that the rogue cut of X-Men Days of Future Past will run to 142 minutes and 37 seconds, thus adding 11 minutes and 11 seconds to the original running time, Brian Singer says it will in fact be adding 17 minutes. So either that means that there are different cuts in the UK and the US, or that there are 17 minutes of new scenes and maybe 6 minutes of cuts, 
or just that someone can't do their maths properly. We don't know. Um, this new cut, of course, does add a whole new sequence featuring Anna Paquin's Rogue changing the timeline once again. Sky One have commissioned a new show called Lucky Man, which is based on an original idea from none other than Stan Lee. Jimmy Nesbitt will star as D.I. Harry Clayton, a London cop who is given a charm that seems to give him the ability to control luck. The show will also star Eve Best, Sienna Guillory, Amara Khan and Darren Boyd. Um, and so that basically sounds to us like Long Shot the London Cop then? Check me out with my X-Men knowledge. Warner Brothers are reportedly pursuing Phil Lord and Chris Miller to direct The Flash, which has Ezra Miller attached to star. The all-powerful Lord Miller are the geniuses behind the Lego movie, 21 Jump Street, Cloud with a Chance of Meatballs, and Clone High. I personally love them pretty much unconditionally, but I can't help but think they'd be a pretty pointless hire unless they were given a lot of creative control. We'll have to see if that's what the DC Universe wants to give filmmakers going forward. Um, And speaking of the DC Universe, the first trailer for Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice will play alongside Mad Max in cinemas. Um, So that probably means it'll launch online a couple of days before. Also in the DCU, Suicide Squad has been busy casting even more villains. Former Oz, Lost and Thor The Dark World star Adewale Akinoye Agbaje will be playing Killer Croc, a villain from Batman's Rose Gallery. Clint Eastwood's son Scott has also joined the cast in a supposed cameo in the role of Scott Trevor, um, a potential future Wonder Woman love interest. Um, I am a big fan of Adewale in particular, so um, I hope this role works out for him, even though uh, Killer Croc sounds nuts. Stephen Amell has been cast as Casey Jones in the sequel to last year's Michael Bay-produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I have very little TMNT knowledge, um, and I didn't even see the last film, so I can't really elaborate on what that means for the film too much, but I do watch Arrow, in which Amel stars as the titular Oliver Queen, um, and I think he's pretty great. Uh, He has good comedic timing when called upon, he believably handles action, um, and I'm not ashamed to say that he looks pretty damn good with his shirt off. Nice work, Turtleverse. Netflix's Daredevil drops on Friday, and I, for one, am very excited. But work continues on Marvel's other Netflix shows, and a third of those, Luke Cage, now has a showrunner. Cheo Hadari Coker will run the show, which will star Mike Holter in the title role and premiere in 2016. Coker has previously worked on Southland and Ray Donovan, and he also wrote the 2009 Notorious B.I.G. biopic, Notorious. Uh, We'll see Cage first in AKA Jessica Jones. The CW's Arrow Flash spin-off continues to take shape, with newcomer Kiara Renee joining the cast in the role of Hawkgirl, and former Doctor Who star Arthur Darville will play the time-travelling Rip Hunter. So, no Booster Gold, we're afraid. But hey, good old Rory Williams will be time-travelling once again. That still leaves at least one notable role left to cast, though. And if our past deductions were correct, and if you're paying attention, this news means that some of them are wrong. Uh, But if our past deductions were correct, then that should probably be the role of Static. And finally, it is old news by now, but Hugh Jackman has claimed that the third Wolverine movie will be his last in the role. He may still appear in Apocalypse, we're expecting him to, but apparently he's hanging up the claws after that. We'll believe it when we don't see it. Okay, that's it for this week's news. Let's move on now to the comic book review section. Okay, let's kick things off with James's recommendation, which was Miracle Man. 
Um, and after a long series of email exchanges with James and Seb, um, I think I've figured out what I actually read. Um, because that was the first stumbling block I encountered. I was so confused what I was reading. After the recording of our Watchmen podcast, Seb, um, James and I actually spent about another 20 minutes on just discussing the history of Miracle Man and uh, the complicated origins and rights issues and everything about him, which I evidently forgot immediately or was just so overwhelmed by that I couldn't process. And so when I got to Miracle Man, I was reading what I, I think what I'm reading is the reprints that that seems to be what I've the the Marvel Comics reprints. And I believe what I have read. So this is, um, of course, I should credit from Alan Moore and Gary Leach. The first book of Miracle Man is A Dream of Flying. So I was so first confused by the kind of short six to seven page issue lengths as they appear in this book. So I kind of read what is the equivalent of four issues, but was actually, I think, 11 parts in the original Warrior magazine. And I actually began the, the first the first issue began with a 1956 prologue from the comic, which actually featured the characters of Miracle Man, Young Miracle Man and Kid Miracle Man traveling through time to from the 50s to the 80s to thwart some villains. Um, and it was very much the old style of comic, uh, the kind of dandere, rip-roaring yarn kind of adventure. And everything was very... It, it was very silly and fun and camp and very much what I kind of imagine when I think of um, comic books from that era. But so obviously what Alan Moore wanted to do when he took over this character was that he acknowledged this kind of, um, I guess, the golden age of comics, this kind of 1950s... Uh, style that he he had these characters to work with, but he really didn't want to present them in that way. He understood how silly they were, and you know he, as a writer in the 1980s, wanted to do something different. So we get a very serious approach to these characters, and, and so it makes sense why this has been James's recommendation based on Watchmen. This is Alan Moore giving a serious, grounded, gritty, dark approach to superheroes. And reading it, it almost kind of felt like a blueprint for comic book movies nowadays, in that, hey, here are some elements that are potentially very silly in their original context, how can we make them serious and how can we make them palatable to modern mainstream audiences so that people will go, oh, hey, that thing that we thought was silly is cool now, um, in the way that people thought, how is a Thor movie going to work or how is a Captain America movie going to work? I guess what Moore was doing with Miracle Man, Marvel Man, even his name is confusing, is what Kevin Feige is faced with on a daily basis now. Unfortunately, I didn't, really like it um and i know that's probably not a popular opinion amongst comic book fans because this is obviously supposed to be like one of alan moore's great works and i guess the, the the only way i can say for my approach of not enjoying it is that maybe it comes from being a person who predominantly watches movies in 2015 as opposed to someone who predominantly reads comic books in 1985. I read this comic, and I can imagine if this was the first time that a kind of camp character had given this grim and gritty makeover, it might have been something surprising, something special, something fresh, something interesting. But to me, the thing that it reminded me most of was kind of those like crappy fan movies that you get, like, oh, here is a gritty reimagining of what... 
um, the Mario characters might be if they were in this world or, oh, hey, here is a really cool dark take on Mortal Kombat that you could do now. Or I mean, recently we got Joseph Kahn, I, I think, kind of tongue-in-cheek remaking the Power Rangers with a dark and gritty backstory. And this is what this really reminded me of, that, okay, we've got a set of kind of wholesome camp characters who probably were, you know, imagined in the first place to play to 12, 13-year-old boys, potentially even younger, and let's give them this total makeover. And honestly, it was the same thing that the Power Rangers fan film does, is, hey, what if one of the former allies, so in that case it was one of the former Power Rangers, has turned evil? And in this, a grown-up kid Marvel, I think it is, uh, not young Marvel man, Kid Marvel man. Yeah, um, Johnny Bates, who was uh, sorry, who was Kid Miracle Man, as opposed to Young Miracle Man, uh, who's the one who is killed in the past. So th- these characters have been killed, uh, c- kind of back in the fifties, or supposedly one of them has been killed. Miracle Man himself has kind of lost memory of being Miracle Man and has that memory reawakened in the eighties. And when it reawakens, he goes and finds. Uh, the former Kid Miracle Man reaches out to him, and it turns out that Kid Miracle Man never lost his memory and has been using his powers for evil ever since. And like I say, it kind of, yeah, I just wasn't on board with the dark, gritty take. I didn't find it particularly interesting. I have no pre-existing relationship with these characters, so your the reimagining aspect means nothing to me, and it, it's just, you know, a former hero struggling with angst and fighting this old hero and then finding out how the previously silly context for all his powers actually has like a real world kind of military basis whereas he thought it was something different to that i mean it's not it's not completely without merit i know it's not completely without merit um it's just that i didn't particularly love it but i liked that i like that miracle man seems to be modeled after kind of like a paul newman kind of actor uh someone who was probably big in the like intervening era uh between 50s miracle man and 80s Miracle Man. I quite liked the section where he was training with his powers and I liked the idea, you know, kind of testing the limits, trying to work out how they worked. And I like the idea. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, that Miracle Man and the and his alter ego kind of existed as two separate people and that it was miracle man that impregnated um his wife rather than him and kind of the 
the, the complicated psychology that goes with that. But personally, I just think uh, maybe it comes off of having read Watchmen a week before also. But this, it, it, <laughs> there is a sense of this being proto-Watchmen of the things that have been explored being explored in a lot more detail and with a lot more depth. You know, these ideas being properly realised in Watchmen that are kind of floating around here. And obviously I've only read the first book and I'm sure that, you know, that this is an important work for a reason. I'm assured that it, it gets better as you get into it. But I think it feels a little bit tired in 2015. Dark and gritty reimaginings of formerly camp characters are a dime a dozen and they usually not very good. And even if this is decent, if it's okay, I never really got into it. And I mean, like there was the fact that the issues were kind of a little bit stuttery because of their length even when they ran into each other and there was one that, I think it was maybe even the third, like, eight-page issue that flashed forward an unspecified amount of time and told a story in the future I I just never really got involved in this story and that's a shame like I say I would still be interested in reading on to kind of hopefully come to a realisation of why this was so revered Um, but in this first book I was not sold on it (laughs) Um, hopefully if you haven't all turned against me by now I'm going to talk about something that I absolutely loved uh, which was Seb's recommendation of Animal Man And Seb recommended the first volume, which is from Grant Morrison, Chaz Truos, and Doug Hazelwood. And the first volume was actually nine issues, uh, which I didn't get through all of. But I was told by Seb, basically, if I got to issue seven, that that would kind of give me a good idea of what this book was going forward. And uh, I kind of just fell in love with it a little bit more with every issue. And it's strange, because I feel like I've almost got like three different comics to talk about here, based on how the story progresses uh seb mentioned this last week that animal man was originally potentially just a four-part one-off and that it sold well and that it was received well so grant morrison kept going um so we'll start with the first four issues which i kind of immediately like quite like the setup that animal man with this was this kind of crap superhero he was not even b-list um that he kind of tried to do some heroing stuff before and he failed and he wasn't recognisable and his powers were kind of, yeah, kind of again a little bit shit in there. <laughs> they can be very cool, but he gets the power of animals who are nearby him. So um, unfortunately that, that power is very pick and choose. Uh, but so he, like at one point there is um, an earthworm nearby him. So he can regenerate part of his body or if he's near a bird, he can fly. If he's near a fish, he can swim underwater and all, all that kind of stuff. And I found it interesting kind of what motivates him in these first couple of issues to get back into superheroing it seems that it's more for fame and money he talks about wanting to join the justice league international and uh being featured on tv and earn enough money for his family they didn't he didn't seem to be particularly motivated to begin with by any kind of oh i want to be you know i want to go out and save people i want to do these good things it was like no no i just i just feel like maybe i should do it again i've got the urge um, and in the first couple of issues, he like r- bumps into Superman very early on, and he kind of has a little bit of a starstruck moment, which I thought was great. And the Superman cameo really again just solidifies the context of Animal Man in that he kind of like he jars Animal Man's arm with a with a handshake, and um, <laughs> it kind of again goes, yeah, yeah, Animal Man is a bit shit. He's not a Superman, you know. He is a he is a good few rungs further down the ladder from Soups. 
And so the story in the first four issues kind of follows Animal Man investigating a break-in at a star laboratory, which I know from The Flash. And he is investigating uh, some weird thing has gone on where a load of monkeys have kind of been fused together in the place. And they set Animal Man out to find out what had happened. Animal Man eventually realises that, um, in fact, that what's going on at Star Labs isn't great. They're, in fact, testing a kind of military military application of anthrax on a monkey. And the bad thing is that that monkey was a good friend of an African superhero villain. I I think he's supposed to be a hero by the time we kind of understand him at the end, who is known as uh, the white god or Buwana Beast. And basically that character has the ability to kind of like mesh two creatures together. So at one point he meshes a man and a cockroach and one time he meshes a man and a rat and that rat knocks off Animal Man's arm and then that's when it regrows because of the earthworm power. And essentially uh, Animal Man kind of turns against Star Labs because he finds out what they've been doing is kind of horrible vivisection essentially with military applications. And it's fine, it's decent, it's okay. I kind of liked the general idea of the superhero of his place in this universe and the plot ends with this really dark twist where the the monkey dies and uh Buana Beast being very upset by this merges the dead monkey's body with the uh lab guy who was testing on him and then that lab guy is then taken off to be tested on and I think that's a really good way in in a comic that as it goes through uh, Animal Man becomes vegetarian and it becomes about there was a running theme of animal rights in there and it seemed like a nice way of going to the reader hey do you think this is horrific well why is it more horrific when it's a man than when it was just a monkey uh which is a nice nice way to end that story there's a weird subplot that goes through those first four issues with animal man's wife that doesn't really play very well uh with a kind of threat of rape that didn't need to be there but it it does eventually doesn't really come to anything but then we get to issue five which is what seb uh teased as probably one of the greatest issues of a comic that I would ever read. And I'm going to struggle to disagree because this is just a phenomenal, outstanding single issue of a comic book. Uh, It kind of blew my mind. I kind of don't want to explain the plot of it too much, but essentially it is, it's kind of a riff on Wile E. Coyote in that there is this kind of hideous man coyote beast that is existing in Animal Man's world. And he keeps getting killed horrifically like Wile E. Coyote would in the old Looney Tunes cartoons and it happens again and again in horrible horrible ways and as the comic progresses we we get this coyote character eventually hands a piece of paper to Animal Man who reads it and so Animal Man it's incomprehensible but we get it read to us and it's like the gospel according to this coyote who essentially used to live in a cartoon universe where like a Looney Tunes cartoon universe where animals fought each other to the death time and time again in this kind of perpetual cycle of meaningless violence and he rebelled against it and the god the creator of his universe presumably some artist said look you know as punishment for this um you look i will bring peace to this cartoon universe but you will have to go out to another universe where you will be repeatedly killed and maimed and injured again and again and again and you will feel that pain so it's kind of this 
insane riff on the Looney Tunes with like the metatextuality of stuff like Duck and Muck and the, the the kind of stuff that was always running through the Looney Tunes cartoons. So that that chimes really well, being the Wally Coyote character, but also kind of the religious connotations of this character sacrificing himself to go to a world where he is going to be tormented and sent there by his creator to bring peace to his own world and it's kind of a mind-blowingly weird uh trippy but also weirdly profound single issue of a comic book and i'm told by seb and james that that kind of like defines the direction that the comic took after that with glenn morrison and i mean the third i think the third volume of animal man is titled deus ex machina so that, you know, that would suggest that it probably does follow that same kind of theme, which just got me so excited to read more Animal Man. And this is another comic, I think, after, you know, I've read a lot more Daredevil since I read that. I've um, I've committed to reading Velvet when the next volume of Velvet comes out. And I think Animal Man is something that I'm going to have to get hold of all three books and just read all of the Glenn Morrison run start to finish because this comic just totally sold me on it. The sixth issue is a kind of weird, I think it's a, like a cross over with a big DC event that was happening at the time and this is something that kind of confused me about comic books and I know if Marvel and DC are doing this at the moment and I find it strange that like Secret Wars might potentially you know have impacts on all these different comic books that people are reading for their own stories and then maybe they don't care that much about the wider universe as when I was reading Animal Man I didn't give a shit what was happening in the rest of the DC universe I just wanted to get me some Animal Man um, but after this phenomenal issue, I had to read a kind of crossover event with, with Invasion, I think it was. And I can imagine how that is really frustrating for comic book readers whenever these crossovers take place. Obviously amazing for some sections of the fans, but kind of frustrating for others. And I think as kind of a an outsider to comic books, that because those crossovers seem so daunting anyway and confusing... Um, I don't think I'd probably react well to them as I didn't hear. But that, you know, it was kind of, it was, it was an okay issue given that none of it really made sense to me. Um, and then issue seven comes along and this is the one that makes it clear why Seb recommended Animal Man. This is, um, Glenn Morrison's kind of, I thought it played like a Watchmen pastiche. It's called Death of the Red Mask, which is playing on a, an Edgar Allan Poe title. It borrows a lot of themes, a lot of images from Watchmen. The the symbol for the Red Mask is a symbol that it comes directly from the pages of Watchmen. Uh, the final couple of pages pretty much mirrors the first page of Watchmen. And, you know, you can either read it as an homage, a pastiche, but it also, I felt, had a little bit of weight to it in its own context, in that Morrison was kind of saying that he wasn't really interested in doing what, a lot of comic books were doing at that time and doing the whole, you know, dark and gritty take on a superhero that he was, in fact, he was doing something different with Animal Man and that he wasn't too inside. He wasn't too interested in the gritty side of superheroes and that he could do some interesting stuff and he could look at characters in an interesting way without doing that. And so while there is kind of a dark humour to the Death of the Red Mask stuff, it's also, you know, entertaining in its own right. And that you've <laughs> you've got the red the red mask and Animal Man, you know, discussing this there are there are some really grim aspects of the story that um, Red Mask tells about his backstory, which again feels like a little nod and a wink towards the kind of stuff that would happen in an Alan Moore comic, but that Morrison wasn't interested in doing. So yeah, that took me to the end of seven issues, and five and seven combined made me just really want to read more Animal Man, and I'm sure I will. And I'm to be honest, I might read more Miracle Man, uh, because I, I would say 
am intrigued by it rather than I enjoyed it. Whereas Animal Man, I'm just like, oh, I really want to read more of this. I really want to read more of um, Coyote Gospel. Um, and I would love to read a lot more comics that were like that. And if that is what the rest of the Animal Man run is, then I cannot wait. But I am afraid that does, in fact, bring us to the end of this week's mini-sode. Don't forget that next week's episode will be covering the 1978 film Superman. If you are enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or on your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, on panelbeats.co.uk, or as we're a Film Divider podcast, at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.